This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 113, Stripes Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, what's new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, I have had an opportunity to watch a whole lot of stuff over the last couple of weeks, Good. partly because I have uh, I was on vacation and uh, partly because, you know, I've made the time. The Netflix show Mindhunter season two uh, dropped in mid-August. And I don't know if you remember, Chris, a while ago, we did an episode where you asked us to give you some suggestions of shows to binge watch. Yeah, and that was Mind on your Hunter, list. I remember Mindhunter was on my list. So for people who maybe don't know much about Mindhunter, the idea behind this, it's based on uh, it's based on real events. It's based on a book that's a nonfiction book. The um, the FBI does criminal profiles today. If there's any sort of bad people out there, the FBI will come in and do a pro psychological profile of, you know, what kind of person most likely committed these crimes. And it helps. It's a tool that the, the law enforcement uses to help catch bad guys. Well, it had to start somewhere. So in the, um, the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, it was a new science. And so Mindhunter is uh, based on the book that was written by the guy that developed these techniques for the FBI. And um, part of their research methodology is to interview real serial killers that were captured because a lot of them just can't stop talking about themselves and, and why they did what they did and, and what they were thinking. And, and these these interviews led to a lot of the uh, um, the methodology of how it's done. So Mindhunter season two just came out. It picks up right where season one left off. It is, uh, again, it's a linear story. So it's it's follows you through the progression of as the FBI is now starting to embrace these techniques and they're actually putting them to work. And uh, again, all of the, the the serial killers and the bad guys they talk about in these shows are real people. These events really happened. I mean, they take a little bit of license for, for television, but it comes – the stories are based on books that were written by a real guy that really did this. So Mindhunter season two, excellent. I, I just finished it. Quite good. I strongly recommend it. And then uh, another one – another movie I just watched on video the other night. It's called Brightburn. Have you heard of this one, Chris? Nope. So Brightburn – Shocking, I know. No kidding. A new movie, Chris? Okay. Uh, so Brightburn is, uh, was written by Brian Gunn and Mark Gunn, and it was produced by James Gunn. And so people might know the name Gunn. James Gunn was the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He has a lot of other fantastic credits as well. And Brian and Mark are his brothers. So with those three guys behind this movie, that should hopefully pique your interest a little bit if Guardians of the Galaxy and that type of film is something you enjoy. Uh the story of Brightburn is basically what if Superman, when he crashed down on Earth, uh, by the time he started to develop his power, say around 12 years old, turned out to be a jerk. He wasn't raised by Ma and Pa Kent. He wasn't given these – well, he's probably – they tried to give him these uh, you know, awesome values to be a great person. But what if the kid was just like, no, I have powers. I'm better than you. I can do whatever I want and you're just human parents. You can't stop me and I'm going to do whatever the heck I want and the kid turns out to be a sociopath. 
And that's the story of Brightburn. What happens in that situation where this adolescent starts to develop powers at 12 years old and realizes there's nothing that can stop me. I can do whatever I want. So it's a, a horror slash thriller slash superhero kind of movie. It's not officially tied to any superheroes. They don't actually say Superman, but it's clear that the inspiration for this story was the Superman myth. And uh, it, it was quite good. I'm not a big fan of horror movies. It's certainly not my genre, but I do like superhero movies you and do. I'm all in on James Gunn. So uh, I gave it a watch and uh, it was it was quite good. I, I'd strongly recommend that one, too. Very cool. Got a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, I think I'm having deja vu because I feel like last episode that you were talking about Mindhunter. Maybe I'm losing my mind, but it triggered something and it made me just realize. So, again, I always talk about my Roku stick that I have that I watch oh, yeah. old yeah, shows yeah, yeah. on. And I found there's an old show on there. It's from the 90s, maybe early 90s something like that and it's canadian and it's called exhibit a and it's got graham green he's yeah, like the, say, the guy from dances with wolves yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like he's he's canadian right and sure um, is and he's great great actor and great voice and so he does the the narration for it and i was watching it and i would just find that stuff fascinating how they use forensic science just to solve these crimes by like a fiber or a hair or something like just i don't know i just find that stuff incredible it's just oh that stuff is so cool to watch so there was that and then also i uh, just today i was doing a corporate training so you know i bet you before i'm a, i'm a college faculty member that's for a living that's what i do and then i also do like these this corporate training where i train like managers come and you know we do all this soft skill training and stuff and i was in the middle or getting ready to start my session today and so i usually i go around the room i said just introduce yourself just tell me your name and i want to know something interesting about you, something that's unique. You know, we were going into a lot of soft skills and I thought it'd be a neat place to start. We were talking about leadership and how unique uh, these people are as leaders and what they can bring to the role. So I want to know something unique about them. So we're going around, you know, and I, I mentioned I'm a podcaster in my spare time and people, and the one girl says, I, you know, my name is whatever. And I love Archie Comics. Archie comics from like the 70s. And I was like, oh man, we're going to get along great. <laughs> I was just like, that's so cool. She's like, I know you're going to think this is weird, but I like Archie comics. I'm like, I don't think that's weird at all. And she's like, but I don't like any of the newer ones and I don't like Riverdale or anything. I only like the old stuff. I'm like, I think we're going to get along fantastically well. <laughs> so Chris, it's your wife better watch out because it sounds like this is your lost soulmate. I know. No kidding. And I just wanted to mention real quickly. So two episodes ago, we did our episode on our favorite TV theme songs of all time. And we got some feedback back on that. I just want to share it. So Stacy Went Kaysler said, I can't really argue with any of your selections, she writes, but I do think you did a disservice to some of the more recent shows. The Sopranos has one of the best theme songs ever. The theme song for The Man in the High Castle is absolutely haunting, and many of my favorites are instrumentals, which I think do a great job of setting the scene for what you're about to watch. For example, Friday Night Lights, Twin Peaks, Stranger Things, Mad Men, Miami Vice. St. Elsewhere's theme song is a classic, and I still love the theme song from Beverly Hills 90210, which to me is the quintessential Gen X show. I'm so glad they're using it for the reboot. So Stacy, thank you very much. Really good feedback. I just, I guess I should start and preface things by saying I think I actually do a disservice to recent shows all the time. <laughs> That's kind of what yeah. I do. And I don't mean to. It's certainly not by design. I'm just, as you know, so stuck in the past that I never mentioned anything past like 1989. So, you know, I guess I do a bit of a disservice to newer stuff, but that's where you come in, Derek. But um, uh, yeah. the other thing I would mention, though, is I kind of made it a little bit clear, but, you know, maybe not clear enough on that episode that when I made my list, I only went with theme songs, quote unquote songs that actually had lyrics in them. 
I didn't mention any instrumentals because yep. I just kind of took the spirit of that episode. And, you know, we should have maybe clarified that you and I between each because you mentioned some instrumentals. I didn't do that. I stayed away from that. I just went with theme songs. So that's probably why I didn't have any in there. But, you know, you know me, if I would have included uh, instrumentals, I would have mentioned like Battlestar Galactica from 1978, you know, or something like that. Right. So, yeah. And, and I remember with that one, I, I tried to stay away from songs that were either released as singles prior to being used as a theme song. Right. Or if possible, songs that like didn't Obviously, my Big Bang Theory selection sort of killed that rule, but I was thinking things like House and The Sopranos and Grace American Hero. Like a lot of those shows had the themes became like pop hits. So I tried to just exclude those from the list to to, to dig a little deeper. But anyway, no, I mean, the feedback is great. I, I, I got to awesome. agree with just about all of them. I, did, I don't watch all of the shows on that list, but the ones that I am aware of, I, I got to agree. And I, I think sometimes, like we had mentioned on that show, Sometimes narrowing down to just five, oh, it's, so hard. it's so difficult. I and know. you're right. It's like, well, six to 10 are almost every bit as important as one to five when the, there's that much to choose from. So. But no, Stacy, thanks for the feedback. We, like Derek said, we really appreciate it. But I have to be honest, I'm still probably not going to mention anything recent. I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't watch anything recent. How the heck am I supposed to know it? But anyway, on that note, let's get started. your head counselor i did not enjoy this anymore the second time <laughs> what's going on what's wrong never seen it oh, never wow. interested in seeing it no desire to see it was not interested at all okay, well, i paid 200 dollars for these shoes but i mean on the best it's certainly tame by today's standards there's a very fat pair of pants hanging from the flagpole this morning it is not something i think i ever need to see again oh matt damon matt damon Okay, so this week it was uh, my turn to nominate a film. I nominated uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. I just, you know how much I love these classic comedies, you know, from that era. I like Bill Murray. I just, I just love Bill Murray. I think he's great. We recently took a look at Meatballs, which was his first movie from 1979. And then, you know, two years later, he came out with Stripes. And that was the movie that I nominated for this week and wanted to talk about. So I mentioned it, the movie came out in 1981. It was directed by Ivan Reitman. Uh, it was written by Len Blum, Daniel Goldberg, and the late great. Harold Ramis. It was starring Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, John Candy, Sean Young was in it, PJ Souls, Warren Oates, and John Larroquette. And it even had cameos from Timothy Busfield and Joe Flaherty and Dave Thomas. The movie had a budget of $10 million, but it grossed $85 million in 1981, which actually put it at the top five. It was the number five grossing film from that year. Uh, the top 10 had some luminaries in it too, Cayman. The Cannonball Run was number six. Yes. And uh, For Your Eyes Only, we were talking about uh, James Bond last episode. The For Your Eyes Only was number eight. The Four Seasons was number nine. And Time Bandits, number 10, a very under underrated film. I love that well, one. Well, what were the top four? I assume one of the Star Wars movies. Was it Empire came out in 81? No, Empire came out in 1980. So Raiders of the Lost Ark was a number oh, grossing film. Yeah. On Golden Pond, surprisingly, was number two. Superman 3 was number three. Arthur was number four. That, that, those are like, even those top 10, I think every one of them, Chariots of Fire was number seven. It sucked. But the Four Seasons wasn't bad, though. I mean, of the, the top 10, those are all pretty good movies. 1981 was a pretty good year for film, I would say. But uh, anyway, so Stripes uh, was number five that year. And one of my all-time favorite comedy classics, as I mentioned, that came out in the 70s and 80s. And so the plot of the movie is pretty simple, you know? Murray and Ramis are two schlubs who get fired from their jobs, so they decide to join the army. And it's basically two movies in one, and I never really thought of it like that, but I remember one of my roommates in university, because I used to make them watch this movie over and over and over again until I thought they were going to kill me, and one of them mentioned, he goes, this is two movies in one. 
And we're going to get to that a bit later. We'll mention it. But uh, I just wanted to get your impression because I made you go back and watch this movie. I think I remember you saying at the time, last episode when I nominated it, you said, I didn't really like it from what I remember, but I'll go back and watch it. Did anything change uh, in the time that you had uh, to watch it? No. Uh, so so I watched this like oh man <laughs> probably in the last couple of years since since you got, since you and Yancey started the podcast because I think when you started the podcast you and I had talked about some movies once you started doing movie reviews I remember you and I talked and I said like what kind of movies are you going to ask Yancey to watch and you said here I have this list and you would send me a list of like 30 or 40 movies and you would say just for fun check off how many of these have you seen and I think I'd seen two-thirds of the list and so I said, well, you know what, uh, if these made your list, I'll make a point of trying to watch some of them. And then knowing that you were going to do them on future episodes and then you had asked me if I would come on to a couple of episodes. So I thought, OK, I better do my homework here. And I know you had mentioned Stripes a few times. And, hey, I like Bill Murray and uh, I like uh, I like Ivan Reitman as a director. And, and I mean, I like Harold Ramis. Uh, you know, Ghostbusters is, is definitely a movie I really, really enjoy. And, and I've seen many, many, many times. So there was a lot that on paper sounded like, hey. This is going to be something I'm going to enjoy. And I remember watching it a few years ago and thinking, no, it didn't really work for me. That was a couple of years ago. And then last uh, week you said, hey, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to nominate Stripe or you're going to nominate Stripes. And you asked me to watch it again. And I was like, OK, I, you know, I will. So I went back and I don't think I liked it anymore. In fact, I probably liked it even less. But that could be simply because I knew that the last time I watched it, I didn't really care for it. I, I literally kept a chart. Every time the movie made me laugh, I put a tally mark. Mm-hmm. How many tallies do you think were on the list? I'll give you an over and under. Five and a half. Do you think I'm over or under five and a half? Uh, knowing you, I bet you it's under. It, it was, yeah, three. I had three yeah, things three. that made me laugh. What were the movie. things I'm, that you laughed at? Do you remember? Okay, you, yeah. According to your chart, I got to know it. Okay. So, and they all happened like within probably about five minutes of, of each other in the movie. It just okay. happened to be a little part. When the two leads are uh, taken by the MPs after the mud wrestling yep. and uh, and then they go to the I think it's a general's house he's not General Bardicky yep yeah and then uh, the scene with Sean Young and uh, Harold Ramis with the force where field? she's like oh yep. I feel like I'm 16 years old again in my parents house and then she's like we're gonna play this game where it's like pretend you have a force field yep. and he's like oh how do you win this game and she's like oh well if the other person uh, you know gets through the force field then you win and then he leans in and kisses her and she says you just broke my force field and he goes yeah you win and i don't know just the way he delivered it (laughs) it made me laugh then a couple of minutes later the scene cuts out to the other guys who were all arrested and then they're all brought back and the guys reading them out i think it was john larkett if i'm john larkett by the way just as an aside was absolutely drunk when he did that scene yeah i heard yeah i've been reading some of the trivia like yeah so uh he's reading them out yeah and it was a visual gag one of the guys had a t-shirt on yeah the slogan you would expect to see is death before dishonor. Yeah. Except it said death before disco. disco. Yeah. And as soon as I saw that, I started laughing. So I'm like, okay, that gets a check mark. But there's and more that, funny. No, sorry. I'm just going to just step in. There's more funny stuff going on that scene. First of all, John Candy is there and he has dried mud. His eyebrows are all dried mud. It looks like clay is all his whole hair is just dried mud. Just that is a visual thing. And you're not telling me it wasn't funny the way he delivers no. the line. When the guy says, where were you? Well, sir, we were on our yeah. way to the bingo parlor at the Is YMCA. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you guys like, shut up. <laughs> Just shut <Yeah>. up. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't uh, Again, didn't make me laugh. Oh, man. Uh, and then 
uh, like five minutes later when they uh, when uh, the two guys show up and everyone's like, we're not going to graduate. And then they're like, let's go to the motor pool and we'll practice. And Bill <laughs> right. Murray's getting them to do the workout. And he's like, you know, left, right, left. Black guys help the white guys. <laughs> and, and, and John Candy starts to fight for no reason at all. The guy's like, hey, man, what did he say? He says the black guys help the white guys. And he pushes them <laughs> just yeah. for no reason. I know. It's like, why is well, he getting in a fight? <laughs> those three things, that was it. Those were the only times I laughed at this movie. Uh, this time through, I might have laughed a little more the last time. Right. I, I for me, I just I felt it. Uh, well, I didn't find it funny. I, uh, it was one of these ones where humor can be is very subjective. We've talked sure, about this before. Is, humor yeah. is subjective. Humor is contextual. Humor is uh, is correlates to time very much because a lot of humor is is all about you know you hear timing is everything, but it also sometimes. It's funny because it takes place in a certain time and it's contextual that way. Sure. And if you're out of that time or you don't have that context or you don't have that frame of reference, you're not going to get the joke. And I think for me, there was a lot of that going on where I just didn't find it funny. And uh, one thing I've, I've heard people say before is if you hear something that's funny, some people will laugh. Your reaction when something's funny is to laugh. Other people will just sort of nod and go, that's funny. And to me, this movie was a lot of that. It was I can see how some people will find this funny, but it didn't make me laugh. I would sort of be going like, yeah, yeah, okay. That, I could see that being funny, but not a lot of ha-has. The, literally, these three things were the only things that made me laugh, literally laugh out loud. Everything else was just, meh. Well, yeah, I, I think, like, I, I guess I understand what you're saying, but I think my thing with this movie is there are some scenes that I genuinely laugh at, and even just talking about them now, I'm cracking up, right? So so there's that. But I think the, one of the things I liked about this movie, too, was I, I am genuinely, genuinely entertained when I watch this movie. And it's not all just, like, laugh-out-loud jokes rolling on the floor. It's not like, remember when we talked about uh, Spaceballs, and it's just, like, one joke after another after another, like, rapid machine gun fire? This movie's not like that. But I was highly entertained by it, and I... And I found myself just endearing myself to this movie in a lot of ways. Now, put things in context because you make a good point. You know, a lot of the, the humor, a lot of comedies are uh, rooted in the times in which they were made. Right. And so I was 12 years old when I first saw this movie because it came out in 1981. I was 11 at the time and I couldn't get into the movie theater to see it because it was rated R. Right. But then it came out like within the year on the movie network. So I watched it on there. I wasn't supposed to, you know, I just sneak downstairs and watch it or whatever. So I was 12 and watched it. And so, of course, it's naughty because, I mean, there's swearing in it and there's like some. A lot of boobs. There's not. I wouldn't say there's a lot. There is some there's some gratuitous nudity. But that was a thing in the in the 80s, too. Right. Like they they just had to get it in there. Like they they had to have that. They put that scene in where uh, Stillman's looking through the telescope, you know, spying on the girls in the shower, because like that's just what you did in the 80s. You put that in the the scene. Right. And he just improvises. So bad. You know, So, so, so. so doesn't bad. hold up to again. That's one of those ones where yep, not we good. talked about this a dozen times. Doesn't hold. It doesn't nope. hold up when you look at it through today's lens. It, no, it, it shouldn't have been acceptable then. <laughs> it shouldn't have been acceptable. It is then, absolutely exactly. not acceptable now. No. and and it doesn't really advance the plot of the movie. In except in the sense to to sort of paint him as a despicable dirtbag. That's the point. You could That's the eat, point. You could have that same outcome and not actually show the showers the shower stall like right. the change area where he's looking into or shoot it in such a way that you don't actually see any of the nudity maybe you see some silhouettes and you're like oh right. he's looking into the girl's locker room right. again it, it it was unnecessary mm-hmm. by today's standards it's unnecessary it, in the 80s I, I like we said before you didn't have the internet and as you know in order to get 
bums in seats, you wanted to show the young boys some boobs. And so the movie does that, mm-hmm. as many movies in the 80s did. Like I said, and it was a thing. for the course. Yep. They have was. a checklist. You know, what do you have in this movie? You got a recognizable comedic star. Yep. Okay, check. You got a director we know. Yep, check. Okay, you got some boobs in there. Yep, check. Again, yep. they checked all the boxes. And like you said, it, it, it was a box office success. And that's not to say that without the boobs it wouldn't have been. But yeah, I got to think – at least partly, some people went simply because they're like, well, I know I'm definitely going to see a little bit of gratuitous nudity. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a try. So I just want to just kind of, because I was entertained by it so much, I just want to kind of go back to the beginning of the movie and kind of walk through it, like, and, and maybe question you along the way, why you didn't think it was funny or whatever. But I mean, okay, so it opens with Bill Murray getting his shoes shined, right? And then he gets into the cab, you know, and he's with the girl. And then he doesn't want, he just, he doesn't want to take her. You know, he's just, he basically is just fed up with his job. Right. And, and she's and she's not even really giving him all that much of a hard time. If you really take a step back and look at it, for, you know, look at the scene a little bit differently. Um, he's actually the total jerk in the scene. She just wants to go to the airport. He just starts picking on her for no reason and then kind of eggs her on. And then, you know, she gets upset with him and then he pulls over and throws the keys, you know, basically off the George Washington Bridge. Right. Uh, so that her stuff's locked in the trunk and she can't. But get I, out. Yeah. But I think I think to me what I got out of that, again, not really being that familiar with the movie was this was in my mind a comment on uh the division of class like here was a woman who's clearly affluent yeah she's wealthy she's got all these bags she's going to the airport you assume to go travel somewhere far away whether it's on vacation or whether she travels like she would look a little bit older so maybe she was traveling to like summer home or something so to me that was sort of the commentary here is if you're an average joe you're going to be you're going to have the kind of job where you have to be subservient to this kind of person who represents wealth. And she does say to him, you look like a typical low life character to me. Absolutely. So you're right. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So, so he obviously gets fired, you know, and then this, you're telling me you didn't like the scene. The, first of all, Harold Ramis, gosh, he was so good. So up until this point, he was a writer. That's what he did. The only acting he did before Stripes was on SETV. That was it up here in Canada. So right. he, he didn't do any other acting. And so when they went to cast him in the movie, they wanted him. And uh, the studio said, no, we don't want we want they wanted Dennis Quaid. And I read that. Yeah. And and, and it was weird. And and funny enough, Dennis Quaid actually shows up later in the movie. You know, when they they go and they do the graduation thing, you know, that's the fact, Jack. And they do that whole thing. Yeah. You you can't really spot him, but he's in the crowd. He's Mm -hmm. sitting in the crowd as an extra because he his wife was PJ Souls. So, uh, okay. so he came to like watch her or whatever. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The, the, the studio did not want Harold Ramis. And Bill Murray said, you want me to do this movie? You cast Harold Ramis. You don't cast Harold Ramis? I'm not doing the movie. So they said, okay, put Harold Ramis in it. But anyway, the beginning scene, when he's in the classroom and he's teaching like English as a second language, you can't tell me that scene didn't make you laugh. I've seen that in this movie eight bazillion times from Sunday, and I still laugh every single time. I just love, I can't wait for that scene as it's coming up when he's teaching everybody. And he's like, does anybody here speak any English? There's like no hands. Nobody? And one guy puts up his hand real slowly. And he's like, yes, sir, you know some English? And the guy says, son of And then the whole class repeats it. Son of And I just, I don't know why, I just love it. I love that scene. I just laugh away. And then he gets them all singing a song. He gets fired, obviously, too, because you can't do that, right? So, I don't know. I, they So, what do they decide to do? Oh, I know. Let's go join the army. And the scene when they go to the recruiter's office didn't make you, you didn't find it funny at all. No, again, it was to me, it was more of a, 
Yeah, that's funny. Like where he says, you know, again, to to demonstrate how dated this is, he's <laughs> right. like, are you homosexuals? And what does he say? You uh, mean know like, what we can learn? No, he goes, you mean like flaming? And he's like, it's a question we just have to ask all of our recruits. And he goes, well, no, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. That would say we are willing to learn. <laughs> Jeez. Exactly. I'm pretty dated. It's just so funny. I don't know. I I just think the whole, the, the whole thing is just entertaining in just this absurd, absurd way. But then when they get to basic training and you meet the secondary characters, you know, they get there, they meet the, the female MPs and uh, Judge Reinhold's character. And just as another aside, by the way, this movie, when Ivan Reitman first came up with the concept for this movie, his concept was Cheech and Chong join the army. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I read some of the trivia before we did the show. Oh, okay. I, I saw that and thought... This would have been a very different movie with yeah. with those two guys. Well, they, but, they, they he wanted them to do it. Obviously, he, he, he never met them, but he, he came up with this idea and he pitched it to them and they loved it. They said, oh, this is great. Yeah, because they had just come off doing Up in Smoke, right? So they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do this movie. This Which is great. I actually just rewatched like mm-hmm. two weeks ago when I was on vacation. It was on one of the cable channels. And right? I'm like, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years. And that's one that I felt really held up. It made me laugh. Oh, so, anyway, that's that's another podcast. We'll, another we'll have to put that one up at some point. Yeah. So, see, Up in Smoke I thought was okay. I liked Cheech and Chong's next movie. I thought that one was even better. But anyway. I, I, I like all their stuff. Yeah, yeah, their stuff is good. But anyway, so they, they like this idea. They're like, oh, yeah, we were going to do this. The only thing was is that they wanted total creative control. And Ivan Reitman was like, no, like we want to have us. And they were like, no, we get 100% creative control in this. And we're not doing it. It's like, OK, forget it. Let's get Bill Murray to do it. And that's kind of the way that they went. But anyways, that so the reason I bring that up is because remember when they meet all the secondary characters, which is just such a oh, I'd love the way they set this movie up and they meet those guys and that kind of drugged out character played by Judge Reinhold. It was his first movie he ever did. The, the lines that he gets in this movie are all from that original script. So they took all the, some of the drug stuff from Chi Chong's and they Chi Chong and they gave it to his character. So that, anyway, that's just a piece of trivia of where that all comes from. But when they're meeting all these secondary characters, oh my gosh, that, that even when they, remember they go in to get their hair cut, yeah. and then John John Candy, who used to have a lot of hair, he had a long hair at one point, right? And when he was on second, when he was, did Second City in Toronto, he had long hair, even when he was on SCTV. And at the beginning of this movie, he's got long hair. And they they cut it off and they took him right down to the wood, right? And he comes out and Harold Ramis takes one look at him and goes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna. And I'm thinking, like, do millennials even know what, what no, that is? Like, what do, do Harry Krishna still exist anymore? I, I I would be shocked if they do. Not not to the sense that they did in the 80s. Yeah, like I just I'm, I was watching. Like, I don't think millennials even know what the hell this is. But that that and, and that scene, and then of course John Candy grabs him and throws him up against the wall. And and I've mentioned this before on a, oh like I think back when Yancey was on about uh, John Candy and how much I love John Candy. And the thing with John Candy that I don't think a lot of people remember you you remember John Candy as being this big overweight lovable you know affable guy which he was but he also had a real edge to him and if you go back and watch some of this stuff you realize like he always had a real edge to him to his comedy and it happens here even in like the scene you mentioned later on when he's like he just starts a fight in line for no reason at all like he just pushes a guy and just like why (laughs) it makes it funny because you're you're confused as to why he's doing this but when they do the circle talk with sergeant hulka 
Remember he gets everyone together? Yeah, they're giving their all their backstories. Yeah. Like, that, I just love that scene. I, I just love, love, love that scene because it just – it sets everybody up. And that was one thing I found that, like, those 70s and 80s comedies did better than any other type of movie that's come before or after is they they spent the, the beginning of the movie really setting up characters. And, 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 and as I've mentioned on the podcast before, that's something I've always liked. You know, movies that have great characters to motivate the story. And I love how they just set up their back. They can do it all. They set up their backstory in one scene. You know, they go around. John Candy tells his story about being overweight. Like, no, no, no. You know, about how he eats pizzas. And Psycho, Francis, telling, you know, he's like telling everybody, if you guys touch me, I'm going to kill you and all this. And Cruiser. And, And another thing, too, again, proving that John Candy had an edge. Remember the Cruiser guy? He was like a little slow. Yeah. You know, and then he's like, "Oh, I like fast cars and fast women. That's why my guys at my car club call me the Cruiser." And John Candy, he is the next line. He goes, "Should have called him the Dork." Like, like, why, why are you being such a jerk? Like, John Candy, he was so funny in this. I don't know. So then, Hulka gets injured, right? Because Timothy Busfield misfires the mortar shell. Yeah. Right, and and so he blows him up and blows up Hulka from the perch. So, what does the platoon do? Of course, they go to a strip club because it's the eighties, and this is an eighties movie, right? And John Candy again, the Edge. What does he do? He gets in and wrestles like five women, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Again, John like Candy punches the one at the time. He actually punches one of the women in the face, right in the face. Like, yeah, wow. and that's what okay. I'm saying. Like when you think of John Candy being this lovable, affable. Guy, yes, he was, but he also had quite a different side to him in a lot of these roles, which I think people just kind of maybe, I don't know, gloss over or something like that, or they forget. But yeah, even that scene, you got Dave Thomas in there, and they're playing um, Rubber Band Man by the by the Spinners, and, and like it's just I don't know, I just I know it's another opportunity just to kind of show off boobs, right? But I, I don't know, there's something about that scene too. I just find it's very funny. It's it's completely un PC. And uh, I don't know. I don't. I, 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 so I get to this point of the movie, and I'm thinking, like, you're, you're still not laughing, eh? No, <laughs> just not your thing. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I and I find this with some of the older, uh, the older comedies. It's just I can appreciate. I can appreciate it for what it is, and I can sort of think to myself, how was this probably received at the time, and and can understand that. Okay, yes, it made a lot of money. It was very successful. I can definitely see in the moment, a lot of people would have found this very funny, but. Watching it today, 2019, with today's lens, with today's values, uh, even sort of putting those aside just to to take in this movie. No, just it it wasn't my thing. It wasn't my cup of tea. And like, I believe me, the, the way I thought of it is, I, I like a dumb comedy as much as the next guy. Like Anchorman's a good example. Anchorman is dumb. It's a dumb comedy, and there's a lot of good lines in it, but it's pretty. It's a dumb movie. But I like it. I watch it. I've watched it more than once. I laugh. But it's not going to win any any Oscars. Like it, it's just a dumb comedy, and a lot of movies that have the the Saturday Night Live cast members tend to f- sort of fall into that category. This I sort of felt was sort of the same. I'm like, this movie's a dumb comedy, but I just kept thinking to myself, it's really more dumb and a lot less comedy. I just I didn't like it. Well, then they like you mentioned, they got rescued by the female MPs, right? <clears throat> they go to Barnicky's house, and so there's a scene there where uh, Bill Murray. You mentioned the scene with um, what's her name, a Sean Young's character. So then yeah. there's the PJ Souls character, and she's with Bill Murray in the kitchen. That scene, not scripted at all. They just turn the camera and say, "Just do something funny. Just just do something." It's like three o'clock in the morning. They're shooting. They're like, "Just do something." So he does the whole thing with a spatula and everything, and like they yeah. just, they just had this unbelievable chemistry together. 
But then the scene that I like is then it just cuts to a scene of the bedroom and like the bed's completely made. And there's like this big kind of cedar chest at the end of the bed. And you're, you're like, where is everybody? You know, 10 seconds of silence. You're like, what the hell's going on? And all of a sudden the cedar chest just opens and she gets out of it. And then he gets out of it too. And you're wondering how the hell did they both fit in there? Like they was they were had to be like crammed up, like like inside a magician's box or something like that. And they both just get out of it. And he's like, Well, that was interesting. <laughs> it's like I just I don't know. I just find all this stuff absurd, but just so bizarre and funny. I don't know. But anyway, so then they obviously have to train for graduation by themselves, right? And then they they impress the colonel with their their routine that they do. And then that's when they have to go to Italy to guard the EM-50, the urban assault vehicle. And that's where, like I mentioned before, it's basically two movies in one. And like I said, my my old roommate in university used to say that. He, he goes, I love the first half. He goes, I hate the second half. You know, the second half yeah. of the movie's dumb. Now, I know uh, I'd asked you on a previous, like many previous podcasts previously was, have you ever seen the movie Full Metal Jacket? I believe you said you have not. No, I haven't. And that is very much the same uh, sort of formula that you have in stripes except it's it's done in a very serious way with similar idea the first half of the movie is the basic training you get all the people you know think of if stripes was a drama that's mm-hmm. exactly the best way to describe it you have all these misfits that come together you have a drill sergeant who's a hard ass who has them you know do all the stuff and he because tr- he knows in the in the case of full metal jacket they're going to be a nom and many of them are going to get killed so he needs you know he needs to get them up to fighting shape and at the end of the basic training there's a fade to black and then it, it picks up with them in Vietnam. And the second half of the movie is like, okay, now what do these guys do with this training they received? And they go to actual, they go to war. And I, I, a lot of people have made that comment about full metal jacket where it's really two one hour movies smushed together to make a two hour movie. And the first movie is a plus fantastic. You're never going to see better performances, direction. It's great. Good dialogue, good scenes. It's just awesome. And the second half is just okay, which together makes a good movie, but not a great movie because the second half really drags. And I felt the same thing here with stripes. The first half to me was far superior than the second half. The second half really felt out of place, almost like it was tacked on and, and, it, it didn't necessarily give as many opportunities for the characters to be, you know, be funny, if you will. But when you do a movie about basic training, unless you're going to end it with the graduation, you got to have them go somewhere where there's action. Because in 1981, I, I, I don't know where else you would have sent them. We were in the middle of the, you know, we were in the middle of the Cold War. There was no active combat zones where you were going to send new, new recruits. It's not like it was 10 years earlier where you're going to send them to Vietnam. So... Uh, it's certainly a, a, a valid take on this movie that it's it's like two movies together. Yeah. The first half being far better than the second, I think. Yeah. Like I say, I mean, they obviously go and guard the EM-50. And then, of course, they end up taking it for a ride so they can go in. And, or as they said, they took it out to get it washed. Right. <laughs> as if. Right. And they went to Switzerland to meet up with the girls. And then, obviously, <clears throat> Stillman, because he's an idiot, you know, takes the platoon into Czechoslovakia. So they got to go and rescue them. And then they return as heroes, you know, pretty straightforward formula there. But if I look back on this movie, most of the great, you know, comedy movies from the seventies and eighties had some just funny quotes in it. And there was just a couple that stand out to me. So like, again, John Candy's character, when Sergeant Hawk gets blown up and falls down from that perch, (laughs) Oxberger goes up to him, Sergeant, does this mean we're through for the day? 
And then he just like chokes him out. It's just like I don't know. I was I thought that one was really good. And then speaking of when the the guys took went into Czechoslovakia, Bill Murray's like, oh, come on, it's Czechoslovakia. We zip in, we pick him up, and we zip back out again. We're not going into Moscow. It's like it's like going into Wisconsin. And then uh, Ziski says, Yeah, well, I got the kicked out of me in Wisconsin once. Forget it. You know, like I don't know. I just thought I always like some of the lines. And then when they realize that you know, oh my God, you know, John and, and Russell stole it. You know, we got to go and get them. And I think it's Cruiser says, oh, man, I can't believe the Russian spies. And Psycho's line is, all I know is I finally get to kill somebody. Like, just I don't know. I just loved a lot of these lines in the movie. Loved it. I don't know. Just think it's a funny movie. And, and like, I, like in addition to being funny, like I said, I think for me, I, I'm entertained by this movie. I'm inter- I was entertained right till the end, even when they get back and they're heroes and it shows kind of their the what happened to them, the, what their fates were. You know, Stillman gets sent to like Alaska or something like that. And Ziski's on the cover of Guns and Ammo. And of course, John Candy's character is on Tiger Beat. Win a dream date with Ox. And, yeah. and all this. I don't know. I was kind of formulaic, and it, but it was very much a product of its time, you know, by these guys that, that did that kind of started in that underground. And that's where a lot of these guys met. Like, I mean, Ivan Reitman met Bill Murray from doing uh, the National Lampoon Radio Hour. Right. This kind of kind of sprung from all of that underground comedy that was going on in the 70s and uh, was highly influential, you know? So, yeah, I I wanted to mention that. So I think part of the reason that I maybe didn't find this as funny as you did, and partly I think part of the reason you find it as funny as you do and as much as you enjoy it as much as you do is because you saw it close to when it first came out when you were much younger, when you were still, you know, much more impressionable and willing to see new things. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) um, since it's come out, it has been, I don't want to say copied, but we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, like it follows a certain formula that comedies in the eighties, you know, would check the boxes. And this one certainly does, but you got to remember that in 1981, this would have been one of the early movies to, to sort of set that example. And a lot of movies that came after this use this as the blueprint in some cases, copying, you know, whole formulas from it where you know these these are the beats you need to hit in your movie in order for it to be a success and if you're not sure what they are go watch stripes and just copy those ones and so i think for me a lot of the 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 parts that in 1981 would have been funny because it was unfamiliar and unexpected i mean that's a big part of comedy is they say or do something unexpected in a way that maybe is out of contact you know is, is 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 not expected at the time uh, you know, we've already said comedy is a, a big part is timing, you know, saying the right thing at the right time or the wrong thing at the right time. And I think for me, I, I'd heard a lot of these jokes before because they'd been copied from this or right. certain scenes. I could really see where it was going because it had been borrowed for other movies, TV, cinema, whatever. And when you go back and see the original, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, that's funny. I can I can understand and appreciate you know what it is what it is but it's been copied so much that I, I i'm deluded to the original and so i think i think that's a big part of maybe why i didn't like this as much as you did or as much as you might have wanted me to but the, one of the things i do want to say that i did actually really like about it that we haven't really touched on yet is the music the score yeah the score by uh, bernstein right it's really catchy. It, yep. it makes you think army or at least some sort of armed forces but it does it in a way that's uh it's like the music's sort of fun and uplifting, so you know that you're watching a comedy, or at least you're not watching like a serious 
military drama where people are going to die and you're going to see heads exploding and nuclear bomb. Like the music very much sets the right tone for this movie. And uh, again, I had heard the music before, but not realized where it was from. Uh, because shows have lifted it when they've done parodies or homages or whatever. Again, I'm going to go back to Family Guy. I think they've copied or ripped off or or done an homage to just about everything that is considered funny, mm-hmm. including this one. And I had no idea that's that's where they got it from. Although I should have. So when I heard the music, it that was one thing that I actually did enjoy through the movie was was the score. Really, I felt added to the movie and uh, and and was very well done. Yeah, no, and like you said, it really, like, Bernstein was good. And, you know, I think he had worked with these people, uh, not Ivan Reitman maybe directly, uh, because Ivan Reitman was a producer on it, but uh, as a director, John Landis, he worked with uh, him when he did Animal House. Just, he brought a different element to it. It was still military, kind of in it, the sound. But then there's also little other things that they drop in. Like, I love when they do the sing the doo diddy diddy song. And like I said, the rubber band man by the spinners in the, the, the wrestling match and all that. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of good music going on in this. And I think that's a that's a really interesting point. Uh, just to to the point that you made before about how it, you know, you've kind of seen this before. Or it's been done. It's almost like when Yancey used to be on the show. I remember when I had him watch. I think it was when I made him watch Animal House. And I think one of the comments that he made was, you know, I feel like, Chris, like I'd, like I'd already seen this movie a bunch of times. And I'm like, yes, you have. But <clears throat> this is the original. Yeah. You know, you know like, like that's why this is so important. Because when this came out, no one had ever done this before. You know, you've seen it because it's been copied eight million times, to, you know, since then. And that's why I think I appreciate it because it's one of the first. And, I, and I'm a big fan of that. Like I mentioned, that underground comedy that came up from the 70s and stuff like with lemmings and, you know, National Lampoon. And, and then it kind of really manifested itself in Saturday Night Live, the early incarnation of it. And so I just love all that stuff. So I'm a big fan of all that. But uh, anyway, I didn't expect you to like it anymore. I knew, that you, <laughs> I knew that you didn't like it, but it was more that I just wanted to be able to get together for, you know, the better part of an hour and talk about Stripes. At least just kind of go back and relive it and kind of laugh it up a little bit more and have another opportunity to watch it. Again, so, you know, it is what it is. I'm not here to change your mind. Just here to talk about movies that I like. That's all it is. You know, it's all good. So Now, one of the things I will say about Stripes, though, is yep. uh, it has had a life on cable. As you mentioned, you mm-hmm. first saw it on, on premium cable when you were younger. And, yep. and it has re- been repeated quite often on cable through the years, which I think a lot of people, uh, probably that's their first uh, introduction to this movie is on cable. Uh, it has run recently on, I want to say AMC, like in the last few months. And unfortunately with AMC being a family friendly programming, they feel the, that they need to remove swears and nudity. And when you get a movie like this, that I don't want to say relies on the nudity and the swearing, but when you remove that, a movie that maybe someone like me wasn't really in love with at the beginning, you're not going to like it anymore when you've got all that editing happening. And uh, I think it almost does the movie a disservice, even though I may not have cared for it. You want to make sure that when someone does have an opportunity to watch a movie like this, and especially if they hear about it from someone like you who says, this is a comedy classic. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's got this great cast. You you think, oh, okay, well, I want to watch this. You really hope that their first experience seeing this movie is in the way it was intended to be seen without any editing. And unfortunately, it's one of those ones that has fallen victim to the the AMC censors. And uh, it has been running a lot lately with all of the cuts, which is, is unfortunate for any movie but yeah. especially for this one yeah no, that's a good point like I, I think you really do need to kind of watch it in its original uncut the way it was meant to be 
scene uh, or not in the kind of chopped up version. So that's a good point. Uh, but anyway, on that note, what do you say that we have some fun with Caveman? All right. Since I nominated this film, I guess it's over to you. Uh, for the fun part. So uh, what do you got for us tonight? What do you want to have some fun with? So we're going to go to the $100,000 pyramid. Well, you know how much I love playing this game, so so hey, it's, we love we love eighties game shows here, yep. and this is one of the game shows that has had iterations over, on, on top of iterations over the years. I believe they've got a brand new version of the hundred thousand dollar pyramid on TV right now. Uh, but we're gonna go back to the classic, the Dick yes. Clark classic, hundred thousand yep. dollar pyramid. The only one that's any good. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. it's definitely the best of the ones. Yeah. Um, so th- obviously, I, uh, I want to give you some context of uh, sure. about these clues before we before we get you, into the winner's circle. Yeah. Yeah. We want we don't want you flying blind. So sure. in the eighties, yes, there were a lot of movies that were made that have to do with war and soldiers right. and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it, you come out of the Vietnam War. And you have a lot to say uh, in the, you know, artists have a lot to say, whether you're a writer, director, actor, whatever. So there is a lot of social commentary happening through film. Right. And in some cases you get things like stripes where you want to make a comedy, but you want to set it in the military. In other cases, you have more action adventure kind of movies. In some cases you have almost documentary style where it's people who have experienced the horrors of war that want to share it. And they make movies that are, are graphic and violent and, and they want to make sure that everybody understands like this is what soldiers had. So you have this gambit of movies about war and, and many of them about recent war, some going back farther, some going, you know, uh, uh, bringing the war home, some about the basic training, tons of war movies in the 80s. So we're going to take six movies okay. that are in some way related to war. From the they 80s. All came out, they all came out in the 80s. Okay. I'm going to list off some of the actors that are in these movies. Okay. And then I got to guess the title. When you think you know the title, okay. call it out. All right. Some movies have a much deeper bench than other movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given that some of these were from the 80s, I didn't recognize a lot of the names. So as I'm going through, I tried to pick names of actors that I'm like, oh, I think this person's pretty big. Or I'd look at their picture and go, oh, yeah, okay, now I know who that is. So you might hear some names and think, I have no idea who that is. Mm -hmm. My apologies if that's the case. But in every case, there are some huge stars. And I've tried to save those names till the end. So if you really seem to be struggling, just wait. We'll get to a star that's so big that you're going to go, oh, of course, that has to be whatever. Okay. So that being said. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Go. Forrest Whitaker. Robert Wall. J.T. Walsh. Bruno Kirby. Platoon? Robin Williams. Uh, Good morning, Vietnam. There you go. Charlie Sheen. Platoon. Harry Dean Stanton. Jennifer Grey. Powers Booth. Leah Thompson. Oh, uh, oh, uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Got it. Willem Dafoe. Platoon. John C. McGinley. Platoon. Tom, Tom Berenger. Tom Sizemore. Stephen Baldwin. William Baldwin. Was it Full Metal Jacket? Daniel Baldwin. Frank Whaley. Michael Wincott. 
Tom Cruise. No pass. idea. Pass. No idea. Okay. New movie. Alan North. Andre Brower. Carrie Elways. Morgan Freeman. Top Gun? No. Matthew Broderick. Is it Glory? Yes. It is Glory. You got it. Okay. Johnny Depp. Forrest Whitaker. Was it Casualties of War? Kevin Dillon. Oh, Platoon. Platoon, yeah. Patrick Swayze. Jane Kaczmarek. Fred Ward. Robert Stack. Gene Hackman. Was it Uncommon Valor? It was yes. Uncommon Valor. You got oh. it. Okay, which one did we miss? We missed. Okay, we're going to go back to this one. William Defoe. John C. McGinley. Tom Berenger. Born on the 4th of July? <laughs> that was hard. I thought that was platoon for sure. Those guys. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh man. Oh man. I, I did. So I did. I win the hundred thousand dollars. Or of course, of course you did. It's it's all in uh, in uh, pop goes your world currency. Oh, wonderful. I like that. It's better than Bitcoin. Uh, sure. Yes. Uh, I, what I was surprised when I was putting these lists together mm-hmm. was a lot of actors appeared in a lot of movies together that had to do with war. Born on the Fourth of July had like three or four actors that all appeared in Platoon. I know. That's why I kept saying Platoon. And, I know. And that one. I, I like, knew you would. That's why I'm I like, set wait. it up that way. Oh, so, and, and it really, and I, I've, I've, I gotta be honest. I've never seen Bo- uh, Born on the 4th of July, but it just, uh, when, when I, th- then I was thinking Tom Cruise and I thought, wait a minute, that's, that's gotta be Born on the 4th of July. Yeah. I figured when I got to Tom Cruise, you'd get it for sure. Uh, and of these six movies we talked about, uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Red Dawn, Born on the 4th of July, Glory, Platoon, and Uncommon Valor. I've only seen two of those six. I saw Platoon and Good Morning Vietnam. I have not seen the other four. Platoon is, oh man, like, I mean, I don't want to say it's underrated. It won Best Picture for 86, but I think Platoon is overlooked as just how good of a film it is. Especially when when you look at the allegories that, that that go on, like to me, to me that is the classic morality tale. I look at that movie and I feel like it's Charlie Sheen, and he has an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, and they're both trying to influence him, and they're both battling for his soul. And those angels are Willem Dafoe and uh, Tom Berenger, those characters, and it's just like they're just they're both fighting for his soul in that movie. God, that movie is good. God, too bad Oliver Stone turned out to be such a dip. Like, cause it's just, God, he was so, such a good director in that movie. Man, oh man, was that movie good. But, oh, that was good. And I won $100,000 in Pop Goes Your World Currency, so I'll definitely use that. I'll cash it in and we'll uh, get together and we'll play some, uh, play some rock band together sometime. Yeah, I'll, I'll there use we go. That. And uh, maybe I'll use it to, to get, a, get us some tickets to another concert sometime soon and we'll go and hang out, because that'd be great too. Yep. But, uh, hey, listen, if you want to reach out to, uh, to us, you're going to find uh, Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website where you'll find all of our contact information. Uh, we're going to come back next show with another one of our top five lists. Uh, we'll be back, uh, you know, as soon as possible. But until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Okay.